you. Well, I'm honored uh, to be with you here this morning as we gather together as fellow followers of Jesus. Uh, I want to talk to you today in this short time we have together on Communion Sunday. I want to reflect on the story of Job. Uh, The book of James tells us that we can look to Job as an example of uh, someone who endured suffering well. Now, uh, thinking about suffering the Sunday after Thanksgiving may seem to be a bit of an odd topic, but if your Thanksgiving table was anything like mine, our gratitude was oftentimes mixed with grief. As Christians, we uh, learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but that does assume that we grieve. Jesus said in John's gospel, in this world you will have much tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. And so we hold the good and the bad together, and I think our thanksgivings are best when they're grounded in grief, when our gratitude is grounded in our griefs. So let's, let's think about Job together and what we can learn from him about how to endure suffering, how to wait for God in pain. Now, I want to I start with Job by, by reflecting on an experience that I bet most of you have observed. Have you ever come across a lost child, perhaps in a shopping mall, or an amusement park, you, you see this kid who's much too small to be alone, and they're usually standing there with tears streaming down their face. They have this confused, disoriented uh, look. They look a little bit like this young man here. I saw this recently, this, this young boy who was in a, in a shopping mall, and there were already well-meaning adults uh, rushing to him, trying to find out uh, what his name was. But every strange face that appeared was just another reminder that he was lost. And he was frantically looking past their faces, trying to find mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, older brother, older sister. And then finally I saw his little arm reach forward, and he pointed And he locked eyes, and here comes mom, and she drops everything, and she picks him up. And I watched this little boy's face almost instantaneously relax. The the tears slowed. He, He was so relieved that he almost chuckled a bit. He had a little smile on his face. See, that's called affect regulation, when, when our emotions are regulated by the presence of another, and even though there's still unanswered questions, even though everything's not quite right, that little boy knew he was all right. And I think that notion of affect regulation can help us understand what otherwise is hard to explain about the story of Job. You, you know the story. Job loses everything. He loses his finances. He loses his children. He loses his own health. And he's reeling. And he's crying out to God and trying to figure out what has happened. He's trying to explain to himself what has gone wrong. But every answer he gives, every solution that's offered by one of his friends, Job is completely dissatisfied with it. He's utterly dissatisfied. He he shakes his fist at God and he asks for his day in court. He's so sure that he is on the right that he wants God to show up so that he can prove that God is in the wrong and he's in the right. And yet when Yahweh does show up 
At the end of the book, when Yahweh comes and Job gets his day in court, he stands down. He acquiesces, the the prosecution rests. He's somehow satisfied. But what's interesting about that is God doesn't really say anything that Job didn't already know. As one commentator puts it, Job, God gave Job no new information. In the speeches that God gives to Job, he hears more or less what he already knew. In fact, Job says in, in Job 42 in his response to Yahweh, I know you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job knew it already. So what was different? Many commentators suggest that it's not what God said, but that God said it. Like that little boy in the shopping mall, Job locks eyes with Yahweh. And in fact, in Job's own words, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I'm good. Everything's still not all right. There are still lots of unanswered questions, but Job is all right. He's been soothed. He's been comforted by God showing up. You know, it's interesting. Um, Some scholars think that Job is the first book of the Bible that was actually written down. That's intriguing to think about, that the first book that God inspired for his people for all of the ages to come was a book on suffering, a book on pain. Buddhism has the four noble truths, and the first noble truth of Buddhism is the observation that all of life is suffering. But it might be that the first book of the Christian Bible is not just that life is suffering, but that God is with us in our pain, that God shows up, Emmanuel, God with us. It looks like the ultimate resolution to pain and suffering on the Christian view is that God doesn't leave us alone in it. He comes to us. Think about David. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Or Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or God says in Isaiah, don't be afraid, fear not, I will be with you. If you walk through the waters, the floods, I will be with you. If you walk through the fire, I will be with you. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send my spirit and he will remain with you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul in 2 Timothy talks about an experience he had where he had been arrested and all of his ministry companions depart. But he says, the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. The Christian message is that God is going to be with us. He's going to love us. We're going to be embraced in the midst of our pain and suffering. You know, Revelation 21, the final picture of the throne of God descending to earth, and the the words say that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know, it's interesting that it doesn't say we'll just stop crying, or that God will say, okay, I'm here now, no more tears. No, like that mother, he's going to embrace us, and he's going to wipe those tears from our eyes. It's okay now. It's going to be fine. And yet, we know that God doesn't always show up 
when and how we'd like him to. Biblically, theologically, we know God is always with us, but our experience, in fact, sometimes part of our pain is that God feels absent. And yet we're liable to miss that, that that was the same experience Job had. God didn't show up right away for Job either. We actually don't know how long Job had to wait in pain for his Yahweh experience. We know it was at least a week because Job's friends show up and they don't say anything for a week. But some commentators think it was longer than that. There's a passage that says, uh, where Job says, so am I made to possess months of vanity, of, of meaninglessness? Some have suggested that Job had to wait over a year in his confusion, in his despair, in his ashes, waiting for God to show up. And so what can we learn from Job about endurance in suffering as we wait for God in pain? Well, there's three practices that it looks like uh, Job engaged in that I think are relevant to us today. The first practice is what we might call the practice of spiritual friendship. I think this is one of the most moving verses in the book of Job. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, they started walking to Job. They met together, the text says, to comfort Job and to sympathize with him. They tore their clothes and they sat shiva with him in his ashes. They sat in silence. We often give Job's friends a bad rap because of their bad theology, but at least they showed up. They didn't do what I'm often tempted to do or I hear about a friend who's going through an adversity and I think, well, I'm sure other people will go. Maybe I'll give them a call tomorrow or I'll send a sympathy text or, uh, uh, you know, I bet he wants his space. No, Job's friends don't ask for permission. They hear that the lights have gone out in Job's life and they start walking. They have names, Bildad, Eliphaz, Zophar. They just start heading towards Job. See, who are your Bildad? Who's your Zophar? Who's your Eliphaz? They probably have other names than that, but who are, who are your three or your four or your five? Who are the folks that know that when you're going through adversity, they start walking? Have you told them that they're your people, that they're part of your safety net? Do they know that? See, the practice of spiritual friendship is an intentional practice where we actually meet with people and we say, you know, I I love talking about the football game and about what you had for Thanksgiving, but I just want you to know that this friendship isn't really about that for me. It's about being there for each other when we need each other. Can we have that kind of friendship? See, we need to practice spiritual friendship in the good times so that when things do go bad, people know that there are people and you know who you need to show up for. And you have the, the structure in your friendships to be there for one another. It doesn't look like Job would have been able to wait as well as he did for God if he didn't have those friends. So the first practice we can learn from Job is the practice of spiritual friendship. The second practice is what I'm going to call the prayer of Job. 
Uh, Job prays lots of different prayers, but this one is, is, is quite intriguing. It's a very short prayer where he says, Lord, teach me to see what I still don't see. God, what am I not getting here? What are you trying to teach me in this pain, in this suffering? Teach me to see, God, maybe what I don't want to see. It's a very dangerous prayer, actually. Uh, perhaps you remember some time ago, there was a prayer of Jabez that was going around. It was, a, it was a prayer for prosperity, a prayer for God's blessing and favor. It actually became a best-selling book, the prayer of Jabez. Prayer of Job will not be a bestseller. This is a hard prayer to pray. God, help me to see what you want me to see in this trial. Uh, my wife and I, when our son was quite young, had a medical condition that caused him a lot of pain. And the good news was, is the doctors told us that he would grow out of it. But the bad news was, is they said, we don't know how long it will take. It might be six months. It might be a year. It might be more. Well, two, three, four years into this condition, my wife and I had prayed lots of prayers of Jabez. Lord, deliver him, heal him, favor him. And somewhere along the line, we started to pray prayers of Job. Lord, what are you doing here? What are you trying to show me? Lord, teach me to see what I still don't see. And God took me on a journey and showed me some things that I'm not sure I would have looked at in any other way. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, The Message, paraphrases uh, James 1.1 this way, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is pushed out into the open and, and you see its true colors. You know under pressure, your life of faith is pushed out into the open and you see its true colors. You see, Job had the courage to pray this prayer, Lord, let me see my true colors. Let me see where I'm really at with you. If we're going to learn from Job how to endure suffering while we wait for God in our pain, we're going to need the courage to pray the prayer of Job. As one of my friends says, don't waste your pain. If it's there, don't waste it. We've got to be able to see what God wants to do in us through it. The last practice I want us to consider is the practice of biblical lament. I'm calling this biblical lament because lament is really shot through the scriptures. Over one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. They're psalms of, of confusion, of disorientation, of despair, of anger, where people are crying out to God and saying, where are you, Lord? How long? I'm concerned that my prayer life doesn't match up with that because it looks like Israel's prayer book, about a third of the time they were praying prayers of lament mixed in with their prayers of praise and thanksgiving. We need to practice biblical lament. The book of Lamentations continues that. And of course, the book of Job is really a lament psalm. At one point, Job says to God, obliterate the day I was born. Black out the night I was conceived. God, I wish you hadn't made me. That's a very bold prayer. 
Job never denied God. He never cursed God. In fact, lament is the exact opposite. It shows this deep confidence that God can handle our despair and our anger, that we can move towards him in the dark and we can bring however we're feeling into his presence. He can take it. I have a friend who has gone through his fair share of grief. And recently he was telling me, he said, you know, Steve, I think I've used my anger and confusion about my life as an excuse to push off from God. Rather than coming to God with my anger and confusion in lament. Lament is that language of prayer where we can just let it rip with God. We don't have to hide ourselves from him. We don't have to keep some of our feelings back. I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard for me to pray prayers of lament. So I've been practicing it, literally practicing it. And sometimes I choose just, just very small things, you know, first world problems, not, not big things, but, and I just start to kind of complain to God a little bit and say, God, I wish this was different. I wish you would fix this. God, where are you in this situation? And I find that as I bring to God my laments, I'm oftentimes prayed into thanksgiving. I pray myself into praise. But it came through this grievance and allowing those sorts of emotions and feelings to come through in prayer. At one point in Job 13, Job says this beautiful line, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. That's that beautiful mixture of of trust and lament. At the conclusion of the book of Job, God chastises Job's friends for their sanitized theology. But he tells Job that Job prayed rightly or truly. It looks like Job's friends talked about God, but Job talked to God. And that's what he got right. So if we're going to learn to wait in pain for God, then we're going to need to learn to practice biblical lament. And what better time to talk about biblical lament than on a communion Sunday? This is when we commemorate Jesus, who Mark's gospel told us was grieved to the point of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was grieved to the point of death. And out of that grief, he prays, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. God, if it's possible, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus models integrating his own grief with his own deep confidence in his father. And then only a few hours later, of course, Jesus would cry out on the cross, quoting Psalm 22, a psalm of lament, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If we're really going to understand the significance of Jesus' death, we're going to have to go to the depths of the pain and the loss, not just that Jesus suffered, but our own pain, our own loss, and those, that of those around us. So as we wait for God to wipe every tear from our eye, we're going to have to endure suffering. And we're going to have to learn from Job how to practice spiritual friendship. Who are those people that you need to be intentional with? How to pray 
bold and courageous prayers of Job. Lord, teach me to see what I don't see. And then how to also engage in biblical lament. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I'm thankful for these people who have gathered together to encourage one another in what it means to be your child, what it means to be your follower, Jesus. Lord, help us to learn from your servant, Job. In this life, we will have much tribulation. We can be of good courage because you've overcome the world. Lord, help us to find our spiritual friends. Help us to engage in courageous and honest prayers and lament. In your name we pray, amen.